0: So much. Whether you're here in the room or watching online, we got some work to do today. So I need you to let's focus for a little bit. We're we're going to dive into this passage, and we're we're kind of coming in for a landing today in the book of Samuel. And as a church, we've been studying Samuel literally since since January. And and you know, I, I'm constantly blown away how relevant God's word is to our lives. And I've wrestled even just with this pandemic, do I make a shift? And, and the more I get into Samuel, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is incredibly relevant to where we are. Now, uh, in this book, if you've been with us the entire time, you know, it's not going to surprise you that David is this deeply flawed individual. Um, and it's interesting as you, you think about him. And so much of the Bible is given to David and it's exposing his failures and his struggles as a, as a man, as a leader. And, and when you, when you think about it, I mean, David, who is this guy? He's the, he's the anointed king of Israel. He's the one who slayed Goliath. I mean, he's the one that is this this champion of faith, and, and and you know what you see over and over again in the book of Samuel is is God dealing with the sins of His people, of these these people that are are incredible, uh, incredibly gifted leaders with the hand of God on them, but yet they fail, they struggle, they rebel. And, you know, when you think about the Bible, you would think that, that uh, you know, it's human nature to have re- revise your history, right? We're seeing some of that today in our, in our nation, and you, we can't really revise our history. And when you think about, uh, the, if, if I was writing the Bible, I would probably leave some of these things out. But God exposes the details. And it's interesting, by 1 Samuel 24, David's old. And in his older age, you would think that, that he has, he's been through all these experiences with the Lord. He's trusted the Lord. He's seen the grace of God over and over again. And, and, and yet in his older age, he, he struggles. And, 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 you know, of course, David's, the ending of his life is, is definitely not one of complete failure. But, but, you know what, he struggled at the finish line. And there's a lesson in that for all of us. You know we need to think about how we finish the race. We ought to think about that. You know I, I learned a long time ago from a young man, eighteen year old kid in my ministry. Uh, when Justin Sullivan, before he died, he 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 wrote this on March um, 19, thousand two, just a few months before he died. He wrote, "There will come a day when we will all see God face to face." This is when we'll understand things fully. When God asks me to believe something that's beyond belief, I decide if I'll trust my five senses or have enough sense to believe in him. And and the reality is we should think about the finish line. And and the sooner we learn that God can be trusted, the the less time we're going to waste in our lives. And and it's one of my prayers that we, we hear today this incredible message of warning for us as the book of Samuel ends. It's interesting, we've learned this in the study, that, that when you read the Old Testament, you should read it Christologically. And here's what I mean by that. You should read the Old Testament with Christ in view. That 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 the Old Testament points to Jesus. And this is very important to understand. So often we live in a, in a, in a world that is discounting the Old Testament and, and we should read it with the, with the reality that, that the Old Testament describes a people of God that are in need of mercy. And, and over and over again, the mercy of God echoes through the Old Testament. And today it's, it's, it's echoing for us. And I don't want us to miss it in the details. Now, when you think about the book of Samuel, just as a reminder, as we wrap it up, it, the book of Samuel describes this monumental transition in the lives of God's people. Remember, let's go back. If you've been with us, if you're new today, today let me just remind you of the, or, or tell you about the book of Samuel. It's this transition of the worship of God at Shiloh to now the worship, worship of God is in Jerusalem. This is a big deal. The book of Samuel is this transition from the period of judges to the period of the kings. Remember the book of Judges, the darkness of Judges, and now the kings are are in play. And 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 you see in the book of Samuel, Eli and his sons were these priests that they were rebellious. And and then Saul comes in, and he has this terrible uh, uh, good beginning, but then he fails and rebels. And and uh, and it was just a Saul was not the right, the anointed king. And, and, and then you see David come into power and, he's, and he thrives and he does well, but then he struggles and rebels and sins and you see the results of that. And, and, and couched in these transitions for us are important lessons. Because when you think about the book of Samuel, God has a lot to say to us through it and I don't wanna miss it today. I mean, think about, think about this transition we're living in. We're living in a, a crazy cultural transition, and nobody knows what even the church is going to be like. I anticipate that, that, I mean, our entire body, whether you're online or with us today or, or even here, we've gotten it. It takes, what, 28 days to start a habit, right? And, and now people are in the habit of not coming together. We're going to have to rebuild in every way. We're in this major transition. I think about our church transition. I mean, we are going to transition, uh, uh, into, we're, we're growing in this transition of two locations. Uh, right now we're, we're, we're transitioning to, to a church that's going to be speaking multiple languages. That's happening right now. How cool is that? Uh, we're in some transition, you know, in 2020 in missions, we're in a transition because we are gonna, uh, we're starting this partnership in Colombia. whenever we can get back there. I had a meeting this week with some of our folks from Colombia, and we're gonna go back there soon. And, and uh, we're uh, just in a couple of months, uh, we're, we're gonna start a partnership in Nicaragua with Compassion International. And we're so excited about this work around the world that God's gonna call us to. But, but I'll tell you all these pursuits, this message today is critical that we hear. So let's look at this. First Samuel, Second Samuel, twenty-four. Let's look at this and open your Bibles now. Um, let's, let's look verse one. The ang- again. Verse, we're going to look at verse one through ten right now, and let's, let's hear this uh, again. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he incited David against them, go and number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with them, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people that I may know the number of people. You know, it's interesting as you think about this transition, David's like, I wanna know what the number is. It's the census. That makes sense for us, right? We're, We're taking the census right now, right? Census is a good idea. Interesting, but look at this, Joab, verse 3. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord the king still see. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and began from Aror and and from the city that is in the middle of the valley toward Gad and on to Jazer and and then came to Gilead to Kadesh and in the land of the Hittites and they came to Dan and from Dan they went around to Sidon and they came to the fortress of Tyre and to the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And they went out to the Negev and, and of Judah and, and of Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000. Verse, look at this, verse 10. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Uh, It's interesting. Honestly, it's easy to lose our way in this passage. There's all these ancient names and old cities, and it's easy to go, okay, where's the lesson in there? Well, where's the failure in there? And, and the bottom line uh, for this is that David was, was conducting this census of, an, of his entire nation. But, but, and here's what David was concerned with. David was, David was concerned with two things. He was concerned with, with the men that were already in the army and he was concerned uh, with those old enough to enter the army in the future. That's what he was concerned with. He's like, I wanna know who our fighting men are. Now, now, when I moved to Tulsa, I realized that that everybody is an engineer. It seems, uh, and there's so many engineers here, and engineers are math people, right? That's weird to me. I, I mean, how many of you are math people? Raise your hand. Okay, uh, okay, that's weird to me. Uh, the, the, and uh, uh, now, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get your iPhone ready or your Bible ready, and and put your finger in. 1 Chronicles 21, because we've got to go back and forth a little bit. Because you know what? We have a lot of biblical critics. You know, we have a lot of people that say the Bible's uh, inconsistent. The Bible has errors in it. And the reason this passage is so significant is this is one of those passages that biblical critics look at and go, see, the Bible is flawed. Now, you've got to recognize, if you're a wise reader of Scripture, you're going to recognize that there are two accounts of this same story in 2 Samuel 24. There's an account in 1 Chronicles 21 and 2 Samuel 24 describes the same story. And, and from the text here, it's interesting Um you know, in First Chronicles 21, uh, uh, you'll notice that, that if you're good at math, if you'll read Chronicles in verses 6 uh, of that or 5 of that passage, you can see in Chronicles the, the, the list of the army that Joab comes back with is 1.1 million from Judah and 470,000 from— uh, excuse me, 1.1 million in Israel and 470,000 from Judah. But in Samuel, it's a lot smaller number. And a lot of critics of the Bible say, see, the Bible's inconsistent. It doesn't, um, it, it doesn't match up. But, but, but I wanna explain that for a second. And, and I know some of you are like, okay, that's, that's neat, but I think this is important to mention. First Chronicles 27, flip over there real quick, and it, lists, it gives a list of how many soldiers are in the army in 1 Chronicles 27. And what, what he does in, in, in Chronicles, he gives a detailed list of the standing army. Chapter 27 gives a, a detailed list of the standing army. And in Chronicles, the standing army is included. In Samuel, it's not included. And so there's a lot of people that compare these numbers and say, you see, the Bible's inconsistent. But actually, when you compare these numbers, they're actually quite consistent. Because uh, here's, here's what they're doing. Here's what Samuel's doing. It's, it's using these round numbers. It's like when we say in the United States, uh, in the United States, there are about 23 million people in the United States. Chronicles is giving an exact number, and Samuel's just giving a round number. Okay? And so, what, what Chronicles is doing, it's, it's giving all the standing army, and Samuel's just leaving those people out. It's interesting. Now, that's just one minor point. But the real issue is not uh, what's the number of the census. The real, ins- uh, the real issue is why was this census wrong? Why was it wrong for David to take a census of his people? Because, you know, in Exodus 30, God tells his leaders to go take a census. So why was it okay in Exodus 30, but it's wrong in Second Samuel 24? And it's interesting because even Joab, Joab comes and warns David, David, why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? We shouldn't do this. But, but Joab follows the king's order because he's the king. Now, now there's some real, something really interesting here. And I need you to be with me. I need you to think with me. Because one of the things that you see here is you see a very dark spiritual attack here. And we need to understand this because there are dark spiritual attacks that we will face. You know, um, it's interesting because Ephesians 6, 10, 10 and 11 says that we are to learn to take our stand against the devil's schemes. And folks, what you see in this passage is you see David failing against the devil's scheme. And when God's people fail, In the spiritual battle, there are devastating consequences. And the reason this is so important for us as a church is that we are living in days that it is absolutely critical for us to walk with God. And we are living in days where there is a spiritual attack going on. And you know what I want to do? What I'm going to make sure I don't do? I do not want to fail in the midst of this attack. And I'll tell you what, I don't want our church to fail in the midst of the attack. And you may be going, Chris, what are you talking about? This is a census. Well, look, at, look at 2 Samuel 24, 1. I want you to notice this. Verse 1 says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited, and he incited David against them saying, go number Israel and Judah. Now I want you to flip over to First Chronicles 21, look at this. Look at First Chronicles 21. Verse one says this, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to count Israel. Now there's a lot of biblical critics that will point to this passage And say, this is inconsistent. The Bible is not even aware of who's causing the problem or who's responsible for David here, whether it's Satan or God. The the Bible's, they, they can't even recognize the difference between God and Satan. And I want you to know, it's when you really understand the spiritual battle and when you really. Um, recognize what's going on here because what's going on here in this passage is this incredibly mysterious reality of God's sovereignty and the battle between evil forces in heavenly realms that Ephesians talks about. And you see this going on. Now, now what you now let's think about this because uh, Ephesians 6 says that we need to take our stand against the devil's schemes. And, and, and you know what? There are times in our lives, there are times in the lives of God's people when, when one of two things happen. We, we either give in to our own desires, own evil desires, or we fail in the face of an outside spiritual attack. Those are the two biggest challenges we will face. Our own evil desires, then we will face outside spiritual attacks. And what you see here, are both of those things going on? So in one sense, when you think about it, is God doing this? Sort of. Is this an attack from Satan? Yeah. Because you see the sovereignty of God, but you also see the spiritual attack. Remember Job? Remember Job here? Remember Job when he was, uh, when, when uh, who came to God to say to Job, can I tempt Job? Satan did. And what did God do? God said, all right, you can, but here's the limitations. And see, what's interesting is you think about this strange reality that, that Job was this man who, who honored God and, and, and God allowed Satan to tempt him. So, so really, the sovereignty of God is at play. There are times that God will allow us to pursue evil not because God likes evil or wants us to pursue evil, but, but in his supernatural way, God has a way of even taking evil and using it as part of his divine plan. It's really interesting as these things play out. When you look at the Chronicles and Samuel you know what? These statements are correct because the author of Chronicles, when he says Satan invited, Satan instituted David to, to this battle, the author of Chronicles is looking this from man's seat. And when you look at the spiritual attack from man's point of view, what do you see? You see Satan is causing this. When you, Samuel is getting into God's seat and recognize that God is sovereign And God is in control of even Satan himself. And so both of these things are not a contradiction. And you know what's amazing to me? Is in the midst of even my bad decisions in my life, my pursuit of evil, do you know that even my pursuit of evil doesn't even mess? It's impossible to mess up the divine plan of God. When I think about all the evil that's going on in the world, Um, The way Satan is attacking the world, the way Satan is attacking the church, none of it will thwart the hand of God. And this is why I look at the church and I look at these days and I think, man, we should be confident because we serve a God who we win the battle. So this is why as believers, we shouldn't have fear. Now, in the midst of all this, David sinned. He failed this attack from the enemy. And what I don't want us to miss is, is this incredible message all through the book of Samuel that, that sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin has a price tag higher than you want to pay. And sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And this is true every time. And when I think about the message to us through the book of Samuel and especially through this last chapter, and this is why whether you're online or whether we're in this room, we cannot get lost in the fact that this is just a census. No, this is a moment where the people of God rebelled against God. And it was costly. This is why point number one is something we cannot miss. And I want you to write it down. is the sin of God's people Results in negative societal impact. And you know what? When if we as the people of First Baptist Owasso rebel against the voice of God, it would be a damage to our community, to the city of Tulsa, to the state of Oklahoma, to the United States of America. And you may think we're just a one little church in Owasso. You know what? When we disobey the Lord it causes negative societal impact and this is why we as a people of God have got to hear this call to repent and to walk with the Lord and you look at Samuel first and second Samuel it mirrors our society that's why it's so relevant I mean this could be a show on Netflix society is in serious trouble here and I look at our world we're in trouble And and, you know, it points to me that that God's people from the beginning have been called to be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. And when I look at the societal problems we have, we've got to be asking, how are we part of the solution, not part of the problem? This is what I pray we hear and embrace. And you know what? It's not just David's failure here. It's the failure of all of God's people. And this is why when you look at the book of Samuel, it's best to interpret this book as a we, not as a me. You've got to see the book of Samuel as a message to God's people collectively. And so often we are so individualistic when it comes to church. We think, well, what, what, do I like this? Do I, what, what am I? What, it's all about me in our world today. We've got to recognize much of the Bible is written to we, that we have a responsibility when it comes to the kingdom. And let's learn this lesson here and be a people who respond to the conviction of the Lord. And and, and, and here's what's beautiful about David's example. In the midst of his failure, in the midst of his mistakes, again, he models how to repent. Look at verse 11. It says in verse 11, it says... And David arose in the morning and the word of the Lord came to get to the prophet Gad, David's seer saying, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee for three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return. Turn to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, "I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for His mercy is great. But let not me, let me not fall into the hand of man." Verse fifteen. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. Think about this. 70,000 people died in three days. You know, we're, is this not relevant to our world as a pestilence is in our world? And you think, we think we're bad? 70,000 died in three days one of the worst tragedies the people of God ever had. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it's enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite. And David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's house. And see, when when I think about David's sin here, oh man, David's sin was devastating for the, the whole people of God. And this is what I want us to recognize, that God's call is too big and these days are too critical for us to be distracted with rebellion. And I gotta tell you, we, we must not be a people who are rebellious, who fight the wrong battles, who fight the wrong fights. I mean, I got a lot of pastors that are wanting to, you know, we're, we're struggling as pastors. But I know a lot of pastors that fight the wrong battles. I don't want to fight. I know a lot of churches that are fighting the wrong battles. We've got to fight the right battles. And we can't be rebellious people. We can't be unforgiving people. We can't be um, disobedient people. We can't be impure people. Folks, David's lesson when he wrote Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thought and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in your everlasting way. This is why I pray for us, that we are a church that says, Lord, we will be repentant. We will walk with you. We will honor you. That It's time for God's people to stop being disobedient to him and rebellious towards him. And you know, point two is good for us. God's people are called to disciplined obedience to God in every circumstance, every time. Every time. We, we, we are so good at justifying our own anger or our own grudges that we hold against believers, our own um, impurity. We don't have time for this. These days are too critical that we're to be obedient to God every time in every circumstance. And and without apology, we gotta be a church that pushes one another to surrender to the Lord every time. And in this passage, there's there's so many incredible lessons. Joab comes to David and goes, David, we shouldn't do this. You know, you look at the push of accountability. You look at James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other, pray for one another so you may be healed. Joab wasn't righteous. James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Joab had his struggles. But Joab was right here to confront Joab. And look, we've got to be a people that confront one another and help one another obey the Lord. But in this passage, it's so interesting. You see that God is completely sovereign, He's completely in control all the time. And I don't want you to be mistaken in the chaos of our world to forget the fact that God is in control, He is completely sovereign. God is at work all the time. God is at work right now in incredible ways. Don't miss that. And God warns us about the trap of disobedience. Don't miss that. This book of Samuel, is the it's, it's echoing through this book. And when you think about this incredible lesson of Scripture, and you think, and it's interesting because... Um, we get uncomfortable with the fact that 70,000 people died. That seems a little harsh, right? That's the consequences of sin. And we live in a world that, that, that is working hard to try to separate the judgment of God from the love of God. And folks, we cannot do that. Let me tell you something, all of us will stand before the Lord. And this is why we must plead with people, come to Jesus. This is why we must be, live with a sense of urgency. Come to Christ because that's where the only hope lies. And this judgment comes to the nation of Israel because David's sin and and the people are guilty and David's guilty and and, and the reality of God's love. And this is what I'm grateful for about the the warnings in Scripture because, because God loves us so much that when he sees us ruining our lives with sin, what does he do? He, he confronts us and, and trips us up so that we don't keep going down that road. And I'm grateful for that. What does Hebrews 12, 6 say? The Lord disciplines those he loves, right? And I, I see right now the church being disciplined. Let's, let's honor, let's embrace it, let's hear it. And you know what? Periodically, God sends pain our way often to protect us from something worse. And so let's embrace the call of God right now. And and God's word helps us look for the hand of God in all things. And even in the midst of suffering, loss, and this plague, God was at work. And and here's we, we generally find pain and tragedy shocking, don't we? It's shocking to us. Oh, I mean, we're an American church. It's shocking to us because we assume God wants us to be uh, healthy, safe, and prosperous and all these things. Let me tell you something. God sometimes brings pain to wake us up. And we're prone to wonder. We're prone to re-rebellious. We're, we need to be forgiven. And, and, and we've got to recognize that these Old Testament passages, and let's hear this, that, that, that they've been given to us, First Corinthians 10, 11 or or, or 11 to 13, a verse you need to memorize. These things happened to them as examples that, that, that they were written down for whom the culmination of ages have come so that if you think you're standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall for no temptation has seized you except what has come to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And folks, this temptations that we're facing, God's going to provide a way for us, a way out for us. When you look at the, the census. This census was a mistake for David because it was moving him to trust in his army rather than trusting in the Lord. Uh, this was, this hints, this census was a failure because it hints at this idea that David was like, you know what, maybe we can add some more to our military, we can have another military conquest. David was getting a little greedy here. And, and this, was, this was the heart of David, the heart of God's people. And God was saying, I'm going to stop you. And it's like a neon sign when you look at this, the book of Samuel. And, and I don't want us to miss the, one of the most important lessons of the book. And, and, it's, and it's simply this, the idea that the people of God wanted an earthly king rather than to have God as the king. And David, what he had done here in this part of his life, he turned his face to what the world had to offer. And I look at our nation. We're flipping out. Our economy, oh no. God's the provider of everything we have, right? Every need we have. All of us in all of our jobs, you know who we work for? The Lord, that's who we work for. And because our, we can't trust our retirement plan, because we can't trust our own efforts, my own, our own bosses and jobs, guess what we can trust? The Lord. And right here, David is getting this lesson. David, you don't trust in your army. You trust in me. God's people were saying, look, you don't trust in how powerful you are. You trust in how powerful I am when I look at us, there's legitimate concerns in the world. One of my dearest friends, who's one of the toughest people I know, he's a pastor in Stillwater, and I love Justin and deeply respect him. He's got coronavirus. He's the pastor of their church, and he's, he doesn't feel very good. And when Justin says to me, Chris, this is legit. He's the toughest dude I've ever met. And there are fears in the world. Let me tell you something. We trust the Lord, right? Let's trust the Lord. Point three is very important for us. There will only be one king forever. I don't want you to miss that. That's the biggest lesson in the book of Samuel. There is one king forever. And we we need him. You know, every time we try to replace God at the throne of our lives, it's going to mess us up. Every time we start to trust in what we've done, what, what we have, how strong we are by ourselves, we should embrace for a fall. You should do that. You should embrace for a fall when you start trusting in yourself. Our king is good. He's right. His plan is always the best plan. He calls us to come to him, to trust him, to walk with him. Now, I gotta got show you this. So I need about seven more minutes because there's this bad idea floating around that I don't want, you to, I don't want us to fall into. It's the idea that in the Old Testament God is a, a judge, a judge and evil and mean, and he's he's angry. And by the New Testament, oh, it's good because God matured and now we have gentle Jesus who comes in in the New Testament, and that's great. The problem with that is that it distorts the Old Testament view of God because in the Old Testament. When you look closely at the image of God, even here in 2 Samuel, you can't help but see God's incredible mercy. And you can't help but see the plan of salvation. And I don't want us to miss it. Because often when we read through the Bible, we just kind of gloss over that and go, okay, that's neat. That's a name I've never heard of. But I want you to notice verse 18 in 2 Samuel 24. Look at this. Notice where David ends up. Because what does he do? He repents. And he ends up in verse 18. And Gad came to him that day. And David said, go raise up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. But you go to, that, go, go to that place. And I want you to raise up an altar to the Lord. And what does he do? He does. He raises up an altar and he, he sacrifices to the Lord. And he says, Lord, I'm sorry. And God, God forgives him. God helps him. God shows mercy to the people of God. Now I'm going to show you this on the screen. It's, 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 and you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. 2 Chronicles 3 1. I want you to notice this. Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, the place provided by David. You know what's interesting about this place? This is the same place that Abraham offered Isaac on the altar. And at the end of chapter 24, David offers a sacrifice on this threshing floor and it would be the exact place that Solomon would build the temple. And they would offer sacrifices and God would would receive their forgiveness. God would give them forgiveness at this place. And all three of these scenes take place years apart, but in the same piece of ground. You know what's interesting about that and important about that? You know what, what the Old Testament says about that? That one day there will be a sacrifice who would satisfy God's wrath and take away sin forever. And I'll tell you, when we understand the holiness of God, and one day we will, one day we will stand in the presence of God and we will see holiness for the first time. When we die, when we stand before the Lord like Justin wrote, there will come a day that you will stand before God and you will see holiness and we will go, oh my goodness, I am unworthy. Like Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, when when Isaiah saw the Lord, And the Bible says he was high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs in Isaiah 6. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they were flying. And they were calling to one another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And see, then Isaiah writes, one of those Saras flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. See, Isaiah knew forgiveness. And I'll tell you, we don't, when you know, when you experience the holiness of God and the forgiveness of God, look, you understand that sinful man cannot stand in his presence that rebellion against him is we must get rid of. Folks, what you see in this incredible story is is that the Old Testament points to a coming king who will take away sin forever. And that's what Jesus did. You know, David, David's life, it points us to Christ, points us to Jesus. And this is why I don't want to just throw out the Old Testament. Because it points us to Jesus. And, and you've got you to gotta know this story. You've got to see the rebellion. You've got to see the struggles to recognize the grace of God. Because we know what it's like to be forgiven. We've been forgiven and that changes us. It shapes us and shame on us for forgetting the power of forgiveness. Man, we should never forget the power of forgiveness. And Heath Thomas is the... He wrote a commentary on this. I was a Sunday school teacher. He's now the president of OBU and is brilliant. He, Thomas, wrote this in his commentary. He says, Jesus Christ is the only king who if we receive him will satisfy us. And if we fail him will die for us. This is our king and there is no other. And that's why I want to say to you, I plead with you to, Come come to Jesus in your life. Whether you're watching online, there's somebody online that will say, I'm here to help you. They could go to a private room in digital world, talk with you. Man, come to Jesus. So if you're here today and you may say, look, I'm, I'm a sinner, I've been rebellious. You know what? He, David repented and he experienced the forgiveness of God. You can too. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. God's forgiveness is greater than your sin. And, and I pray that you don't go another day without following Christ, but, but, but the message of, of Samuel is a message to God's people that we must not live in rebellion, that these days are too critical and these, these times are too important for us to be a church that flirts with sin and that ignores the voice of God that doesn't, doesn't live by his word and live in his word knowing what God's word says. Look, we don't have time for this. And maybe I'm kind of flipping out because I turned 49 this week. I don't know. I'm way past half time. And the reality is I'm not gonna spin my wheels. I don't know how many days I have left. But I tell you what, I want to spend every day in the center of God's will. Obedient to his voice. Church, stop wasting time. Stop. We got work to do.